Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we get started, are you thinking of creating a podcast or are you a podcast host already? As a podcast strategist, I can help you to launch or relaunch a purposeful and profitable podcast, which will inspire, entertain and educate a global audience. Simply book in a one-to-one call with me right now via the Calendly link in the show notes and together we'll focus on the purpose of your podcast. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by the Care Connector, Mr. Ian Clegg. Hello, welcome to you. How are you doing, Ian? Hi, Amy. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And where are you calling from today? Um, a place called Mocklin, which is in Scotland. Um, it's Robbie Burns country. I feel like a radio presenter where you're calling from. I've never said that before, but yeah. <laughs> It's all good. Yeah, so so Scotland and all good up there. What's happening in Scotland right now? Weather's not great. It's absolutely belting it down as per usual. Windy, cold, but it's the winter. What can you expect? Well, it's the same for us down here in the south, which is probably just not being battered as much as you are up there. It's a bit, <laughs> bit more extreme. Well, look, we're not here to talk about the weather. What is it we're talking about today? What is it you're doing at the moment, Ian? Building the Care Connector Network is what I'm doing. It's something that I started up last year. Um, and I started it up out of a bit of frustration, really, because I saw that lots of people on the Facebook groups, managers' Facebook groups of the care sector would ask for help. And people like myself, who was a small independent trainer, would go, oh, I can help you with that. And then we would be told that, we couldn't advertise on the site what we could do. So I went and set up a Facebook page and it wasn't called the Care Connector Network at the time. It was uh, far too many words to actually remember what it was called <laughs> um, with my dyslexic brain to allow people to basically tell everyone what they did. A bit like you allow everyone on here to tell what they, what they do. It was pretty much set up to allow people to do that. Um, Once a week, they could advertise what they did so that people in the care sector knew. One of the things that always got to me was that it's companies with big marketing budgets that get in front of people rather than small independent trainers, consultants, product, product developers find it really difficult to break down those barriers and I wanted to change that and give people the opportunity to be able to get heard and be seen um, by the right people and to form collaborations with other people as well so that they could offer more to the sector rather than just what they did alone on the standalone. And so that was sort of set up around about May last year and then I didn't do very much with it. And then we got to December and all my work got pushed again, um, as it had been all year, um, because there was something that happened last year. I can't remember what it was. It was in the newspapers. 
um, that caused a bit of a whirlwind around the world and still seems to be. And I decided to make it into a, a business and actually start connecting people and calling it a network. And that's where the Care Connect Network was born and became what it is now, or start of what it is now, of um, connecting smaller suppliers and providers of products and services to the care sector. Usually um, the smaller ones, smaller groups, smaller care home providers, but not just care homes, it's all sorts of care. So we've got people with um, that do supported living with people with complex needs and disabilities. We've got children's care. We've got domiciliary care, care homes, neuro care, pretty much everything that falls under the social care banner. Um, and it was to help connect them so that they a, knew what was out there, but also in what we do, we do like a learning experience time stuff as well, where we will have different people speaking about their expertise and how it can actually influence the care sector and help them to help with their inefficiencies in their spending and also to improve their provision of care. It sounds a wonderful community that you've created here, or, or you haven't created it, you've brought people together to create the community, essentially. So tell me more about why the care sector, what happened there? How did you get involved in the care sector? Well, my mum was a care of the elderly nurse all my life, and I used to be going to the care homes with my mum from a very young age. And when I say a young age, different times, the matron actually put a cot into one of the rooms because my dad was in the Navy and at sea and they um, wanted my mum back at work so they put a cot in one of the rooms and they used to sleep in the care home at night <laughs> um, and then I suppose over the years I was I, I just loved being in that environment and talking to especially when you think you know uh five six seven eight nine year old boy in a care home that is predominantly full of ex-service people from the war <laughs> some of the stories that used to get told were fascinating and fantastic um so it you know that was always something that was on my mind was the care side and then when i as i grew up i was either going to become a nurse or a chef Unfortunately, I'm not great with bodily fluids, so I decided to go with chefing. <laughs> well, if you're dealing with the care sector, you don't have much choice. Um, so I went down that route, and then I studied dietetics. I changed my career when I was in my 30s and went and studied dietetics at university. And then I, when I left, I set up a company to provide nutrition training and catering management training and consultancy to the care sector so it was a way that I could actually help the care sector and give back to what they do 
Um, that's why I got involved in the care sector. And then, as I say, things changed a little last year and the embryo of the Care Connector Network started and it's just growing and growing from there, really. So helping all these people under the social care banner and it seems to be a, a huge range of people who you're you're working with here how do you then sort of take that and improve things and help people to connect so it, you mentioned that you have them coming on and listening to various learning experiences but what is it that you are doing that's helping them to understand who can help and how they can help and, and essentially why they can help yeah, no. Um, on a Wednesday now, I started this a couple of months ago and it's going really well. We're getting some really, I'm going to try and say this word, I'm not very great with this, innovative <laughs> um, products that are coming on um, that wouldn't see the light of day, like self-sanitizing um, door handles and cups that measure how much is in them to start with and then how much the person has drank. And it does it all by Bluetooth and records everything. All these sorts of things are things that um, a, a new paint that's just been brought over to the UK that um, can kill bacteria and mold um, for up to six years. So it's just fascinating stuff that we're, we're getting in. But um, about two months ago, I started the weekly huddle, <clears throat> which is um, on a Wednesday morning at half past nine. Um, anyone's welcome to come come along and say hello just get in touch and we basically do around the room what what people do if you're from if you're a supplier into the sector what is it you do what have you got to offer and then from the people from the care side that come into the room what are they looking for who do they want to talk to and then I connect them um putting putting them together i get quite a lot of people even though i don't want to become a procurement site because <laughs> that's too much like hard work and i want to start playing golf <laughs> more <laughs> um that it is about connecting them they will get in touch with me ask me who i know in that field and i will put people in touch with with each other and and it seems to be something that as i say it's growing quite well now um people are starting to realize that it is a safe space for them as well so one of my rules is is that you can't directly message any any of the care providers if you're a supplier within the network you have to wait for them to make the you can you can say if they say that they're looking for something you can say on the thread that you can assist them but you can't actually get in touch directly with them unless they give you permission, which is giving them that safe space, which is allowing, um, allowing people to be able to feel safe in asking for something, but also for the suppliers to be able to post up to say what they do. So clearly this is something that you, you just had as part of your world from a very early age, I mean, literally from, from birth all the way through. And, and then you talk about how this new network that you've created has been born out of frustration. What is your frustration with the care sector in general? I suppose that they're quite reactive rather than um, proactive. Um, in the past, 
it, whenever I've talked about my nutrition stuff, it's been, why has somebody said something? Has the CQC said something? Or the CI up here in Scotland? And it's like, no. And it's like, well, why do we need to do it then? And I don't just think it's the care sector. I think the whole of healthcare as well is exactly the same spot. I was actually told when I said I wanted to go into geriatric dietetics. And when they said, why? I said, I wanted to change the way nutrition was delivered to the elderly. And I was told by somebody quite senior, don't go into the NHS because you'll change nothing. <laughs> it's too big. And it seems to be the same way. Um, there's a lot of talk at the minute that, and, and within our network as well, that a lot of care homes or care businesses are going to become extinct if they don't change. And then they need to look at things from a different perspective going forward. And that's what we as the network are trying to do. It's getting them to look at other things. So over the last year, we've talked about COVID zero times. Every other thing out there around the care sector is talk, constantly talking about COVID. We've never covered it. We've covered the other aspects of business, you know, the business of running a care home, the things that people struggle to talk about. I'm not sure whether you've had Ricky on as a, as a guest. And Ricky came and spoke to us about gender and gender awareness within the care sector. And these are the sorts of things that get missed. So these are the sorts of things that I want to cover within, within the network to help them from a business perspective as well, you know, because they don't come, from, people don't come from a business background, a lot of people that work in the care sector. And then they're thrust in at management level and they've got people to deal with and a business to deal with, as well as the clinical side to deal with. And it's, and it's trying to help people get those things into order. Um, and then, you know, the other frustration with the care sector is the actual um, things that come down. There was a new, there was guidance put out last week about the new variant. And then on Friday evening, they re released a new guidance out, but it wasn't, it was an updated guidance and they'd missed a comma. Somebody hadn't put a comma in. So they sent an, all this guidance out to these care homes with the comma put in. And it's like, do you not think they've got enough to deal with without worrying whether there's a comma in somewhere, you know? Um, and especially being dyslexic, I wouldn't even read the comma anyway. <laughs> it, it's just frustrating that it, things aren't, seen from that perspective it, it is bureaucracy beyond belief a lot of the time um that's one of the reasons why we've set up or we're in the process of setting up the masked provider where we're going to actually have people on that are disguised and their voice distorted and they're you know and we're going to talk to them about what are their frustrations within the sector? 
what do they think needs to be done? What does need to be changed apart from finances and staffing or as well as finances and staffing, should I say, you know, but what, what, what can we do as a network of people to help them get some quick fixes? Because there's just so much frustration out there and overwhelm at the minute. The overwhelm is just beyond belief. And it's sad to see and sad to hear as well when you, you know, you're talking to managers and you're on Zoom, they're in a room with other people, the camera's not on, and you can tell that they're either in tears or close to. And it's just so frustrating and upsetting when we know that there's a lot of answers out there, they just don't know where to go to ask for help, you know? And there are a lot of experts and people like myself who are experts in what we do, me around the food and nutrition stuff, um, that, as I say, don't get heard or seen. And people don't know we exist. And people don't think that they need us as well until we walk through the door and go, and they go, wow. <laughs> You know, why, why, why have we waited so long for this to happen? So I'm hearing the, the frustration behind the, the people not being given the opportunity to be seen or heard, but also that they are being reactive as opposed to proactive. And that's reflected in, in the NHS, not just in the care sector. In general, that's in our health and the way that we are living right now. We, you know, we're very much not sort of looking at what could happen we're just reacting to it when it happens yeah well without a doubt um it's just come it's a constant reactionary process at the minute rather than trying to get ahead of everything um as you say with our own health as well you know we, we don't focus on that and we're just heading to burnout and overwhelm and the and the later part of our years ian i mean we're living longer we are looking to have a longer time in potentially in care because mm -hmm. our bodies are going to be around, but there have got other other issues where we need that assistance. When when should we be starting to think about that time of our life? Um, in vitro. <laughs> um, it's now things have come down that far now, but you know it, it's. <laughs> When you're, when you're 19, 20, 21, thinking about being 70 is like, you know, you're indestructible, aren't you? And then you get to sort of like close to 50 and you start thinking, well, <laughs> you know, you, we're heading towards that direction now of care. And what is care going to look like for us? Um, and that's why we need to because the care sector needs needs to change. The care model needs to change. Um, as from what I can see and from talking to other people, <clears throat> that there, need, there is going to be a big shift, but we, we need to start taking care of ourselves. Um, as I've said to you before, you know, when in 1951, there was 300 people reached their 100th birthday. And they reckon by 2031, there's going to be 35,000 people reaching their 100th birthday. So 
we are living longer, but we're living longer in an ill state, which is what they class as an ill state where, you know, whereas we used to retire at 60, 65, and then the life expectancy was five to 10 years. Whereas now we're retiring at 60, 65, and life expectancy is about another 20, 30 years. So we're starting to live more in an ill state. So we need to start looking at the models of care that we've got out there. And that's something we've started doing through the Care Connector Network as well, um, about the different models and how they can be implemented and put in place. And what are people looking for? You know, we've got a lot of luxury care homes out there. Um, are they luxury care or are they aesthetically luxury? I, th I think that do we need all the aesthetics if you are at end of life care? Or would you rather pay the same money and have someone sitting with you holding your hand? And as I say, there's been a lot of discussions within the network about this sort of stuff. Um, I've discussed it a lot with people as well, personally, um, and with other care home providers um, around how we can look at implementing all these different things that we've got out there as well, and just making sure that the care that we're providing is right, the building is suitable for what is needed, and that we're cutting out all the inefficiencies within care and actually making sure that, you know, we're doing things right rather than ticking a box. There's a lot of box ticking. But that comes down to the bureaucracy of, you know, being told that that's what they have to do. And that's why I feel for, the, you know, the care managers and stuff like that. Um, and that's why other people also like coming on the Care Connect Network stuff is because I say it as it is. Um, and don't, don't hold back on different things because if, if, we ever, if everyone just holds back, then no one hears the truth. So I'm hearing a two-pronged attack that's needed. A, people take responsibility for their own health so that they are approaching the elderly years in a fitter state and but then also that the care sector is evolving to meet the needs so there's there's the two sides that mm -hmm. are, are needed here but as you said it's a case of actually giving what people are wanting as opposed to what pe they think people want or or again you know that that really fine difference there between a luxury care home and whether that's giving you luxury care or it's the home that is a luxurious building. And that is a massive difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I mean, it, it is. And, and that's what needs to be looked at. And, and that's why I think that a, a lot of the stuff that's coming out at the minute um, from Panorama and people like that are highlighting things in care that haven't been highlighted before. And there is a big focus on social care. And one of the other things that 
I think about and has been mentioned before is, you know, who is the luxury care home for? Like the, what I mean by that, the luxury aesthetics. Is it for the person that's going into care? Or is it to relieve the guilt of the person that is saying to them, right, you need to go into care. So when they walk in, they go, well, that's a nice building. And if we can start letting people know what luxury care can look like at different levels, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have these places. That's not what I'm saying at all, that there is a place for them and that's at level one. When someone gets to level seven though, do they need still need that um, aesthetic side of things? I'm also not saying that they should just be in a room with a bed. Do you know what I mean? That there's the whole compromise of of what is needed for the person and to bring it back to person-centered care. But that's why the you know with the network, there's a lot of people that are coming into it that are bringing some, as I say, some fantastic products and innovations to for the care sector um, that I think are going to be game changers. Yeah, I love the idea of paint that is mold free for six years. That sounds fantastic. And also for the, the other one, which is self-cleansing door, door handles and things. It's, I mean, it's brilliant, genius ideas. Tell me, Ian, what is the driver for you now? What is the purpose behind the work you're doing? The purpose behind it is to help improve the care sector, to help, um, sorry, not to improve it, I've gone past that, change the care sector <laughs> for the better, to help the smaller suppliers that are out there to um, be seen and heard and be recognized by, you know, the, the, the people that are out there. Um, and that we're not just in it to rip them off. I had a care provider tell me that my nutrition stuff was expensive and my, it was actually the catering management side of it, that it was expensive. And then when I explained that I saved them, saved the care home £39,500 a year just by restructuring their staffing, suddenly that four grand that it cost them didn't seem so much anymore. It, it's about letting people know what is out there and that there are people out there that do what they do from the supplier side because they care, you know, because we care about the people that are in care, we also care about the people that are providing care. And that, that's why we went into doing what we do. You know, um, that's why I went over to America and did the behavioral performance management training and got diplomas in that because the first place I went into and did my training, they did what I wanted them to do for a, a couple of weeks and then back to what they were doing beforehand. And then when I asked questions about why this was happening, I was told it was normal. And I went and spent more money to go over to America to find out how I could work out for that not to happen. I didn't go into the care home to take money out of it. I went in to improve stuff. 
I think that by people knowing that there are people out there that do care but still have a business, you know, that just because we're giving our knowledge away and skills doesn't mean that it's not worth as much as a product. Um, I think is a big key thing. Um, you know, that I find quite a lot that people think that we are expensive, as I say, until we do what we do. And I think that goes for most of us in this sort of realm, um, not just in the in the care sector, but in the whole speaking and training sector, that people think that we're expensive until they see the results, but they don't happen instantaneously, unfortunately. So is it that instant results and the gratification that they're looking for, and if they can't see the long-term benefits, then they're, they're not interested? Yeah, I, I would say so, pretty much so. And I think that's the same for a lot of people though, you know, and, and not just in, I think in any industry, it's the same sort of thing. You know, I always use that analogy of the the postcard that I saw with the king having fighting a battle with bow and arrows and the guy standing behind him with a machine gun and someone going, there's someone here to see you. And he says, I can't see you right now because I'm busy. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, sometimes you've got to look behind you. Or as someone came up with the analogy of the crocodiles in the swamp, if you spend all the time batting the crocodiles away instead of paddling out the swamp, you're always going to stay in the swamp. Yeah. So is it a case, though, Ian, that people don't have the resources to just stop and reflect and think about what can change? Absolutely. Stop. The word stop is the hardest thing to say, isn't it? You know, if you don't have a, if you don't have a new start point, or if you're standing in the middle of that fire or, you know, you're that king in, in that battle, having the time and the thought process to say, stop, let's go down this route instead, is hard to do. I mean, if you're just constantly firefighting with everything that's going on saying that word stop and stopping you know and I think this is why we talk a lot about change in the care sector government talk about change CQC talk about change we all talk about change <laughs> nothing changes <laughs> because it you as as we know, you know, to change something, you need to stop doing something and start doing something different. But you can't stop if everything's on fire around you. And that's where the Care Connector, the people within the Care Connector and the Care Connector can help people within the care sector. Because we can go, right, well, we can put out these fires for you. Then you can look at, changing you know that's i mean there's been quite a few collaborations formed within the care connector where we can actually now instead of just going looking at a cqc report and going oh they've got these problems we can actually look at a cqc report and go they've got these problems ian can do that kath can do that jennifer can do that 
and then actually looking at how we can approach people as a whole and saying, right, this is what we can do for you. So going back to that conversation where you were shut down by someone senior saying, you know, you're not going to make any changes. What are you going to do to prove to them that it's possible? Well, one of the things that we're looking at doing is actually taking on a care home. And then implementing all of the things that we feel should be in there, providing luxury care, um, and whether that's through technology base, whether that's through training, whether that's through consultancy work, you know, whatever it is that is needed, that it gets put in to show that if you do this, we can then you can you can provide this and have a profit margin as well. So that's that's our sort of thing that we've got in our chat at the minute is how you know going about those next steps of looking at acquiring a care home and then building that up into something that as a model that we can put out there for other people to follow. And as I say, seeing is believing. So once you can see it and then people can then see the vision and, and believe what you're trying to achieve by saying, well, this is the model that you can also replicate. This is this is how we've done it. And here we go. So absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same as my socks. You know, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed it if anyone had told me if I hadn't have got them myself and saw the benefit of those. It's, Tell me about your socks. What are your socks? Socks are uh, neuro wearable neurotechnology that has basically transformed my life. I'm now what, must be about 20, 21 weeks without taking painkillers. Uh, whereas I used to be taking them between 16 and 20 a day, all different types, you know, ones for anti-inflammatories, ones for pain. And I've not been taking any, it's, it's been completely, that's been completely transformational for me, um, but also helping with my sleep and my anxiety levels and being able to play with my kids um, has been one of the biggest highlights, I think, um, and do stuff with them rather than being the person sat in the corner on my phone because I can't actually do anything with them rather than not wanting to. So that, yeah, that's been quite transformational shall we say sounds amazing and and the socks can we give them a shout out yeah um they are um on my website for that one and um that's exilis at voxlife.com um and i shall pass on the connections for that to yourself um but yeah there's I mean, it's just been amazing. Um, and there's 54,000 people now in the testimonial group. So there's a lot of people's lives that's changed. And I'm actually doing a, a, um, a talk tonight on um, fibromyalgia and neurology. Amazing. So. Well, 
I will be looking, I'll have a conversation with you about those because I think I've, I know someone who would do really well with them. So we'll have that chat later. Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast to share why you're doing what you're doing. And it's a huge project. You know, it's not it's not an overnight one. It is a purpose that's going to outlive you and continue, yeah. I'm sure, and beyond. So, yeah, well done for championing what you're doing. Thanks very much. It's, yeah, I mean, it's the biggest thing for me is, that, as I've said to people who have joined the network, this isn't about getting a bigger bit of the pie. This is about making the pie bigger so that we can all get a bit of it. There's over 500 different types of supplier to the sector. There's plenty to go around. <laughs> yeah. So how can people get in contact with you, Ian? Where, where should they go? Um, they can get in contact with me on LinkedIn. It's quite easy, um, my name. Uh, or I've got a business page, which is the Care Connector um, business page on LinkedIn. Facebook, the, there's the Care Connector Facebook group. And very shortly, hopefully, fingers crossed, there is going to be a completely new social platform for the care sector so social and learn group page on a completely separate platform from linkedin and facebook that is just going to be dedicated to the care sector that we're going to be starting up and i will drop you the information for that one once it's available that's how they can get in touch with me or on twitter it's cnc ian Perfect. Well, I'll make sure all of those go into the show notes. So if people are out and about right now, they can just go and find that, especially with the new social and learn platform that's going to come out. Ian, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. How would you like to close out the episode today? Uh, I just want to say thanks very much. And a big shout out to all the care people that are out there, the managers, the care workers, the families behind those care workers and managers that are supporting them to do their job. And you know, hope everyone stays safe and keeps well. Thank you for listening to Focus on Why with me, Amy Rowlandson. To show your appreciation and to help other listeners understand what value you have received from tuning in today, please leave me an Apple Podcast five-star review. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.